0: Please turn with me now to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, He cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish." Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? While the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is precisely our problem. We do not have ears to hear, and so, Lord, we pray that you would provide them for us, that you would enable us spiritually to hear and to understand this truth. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would grant us to see the good things, the good thing that you have provided for us, and Heavenly Father, that we would be obedient to this word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. (coughs) Well, we come to these final two verses of chapter 14. It's a very brief section, and the subject is very simple. It's salt. And this little section is framed by two very important parts of context. First, the verse that we left off with at le- with the last time, which is in verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And we must expect that this section there has some connection to this. It has to do with his fundamental divide between those who follow Christ and those who don't. And indeed of the attitude of those who do follow Christ to the the reception, the inevitable reception and treatment that they receive at the hands of the world. And then it is the other part of that frame are the closing words of the chapter in verse 35, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now Jesus usually say, says these things. He speaks of that, uh, pronounces that in the, the Gospels on a number of occasions, but he normally says that about things that are not obvious, things that could be easily misunderstood, things that are not straightforward, things that are spoken in parables, and we need help to understand. It's very much like the parable of the seeds found in Matthew thirteen nine. after he gives a parable of the seeds and doesn't say anything more. that He doesn't yet explain them. He closes by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, this is very much our situation this morning. We need ears to hear. And frankly, I, I come as one who thinks we also need salt. Um, we often feel, don't we, in the course of, of a week, that as we are in contact with the, the world in various ways, that we begin to lose our distinctive flavor. And we come as, as those who very much need to be renewed in the efficacy, and the power of of salt. But before we can do that, we really need to be, we need to come to an understanding of what Jesus' parable, his illustration is all about. So the title of the sermon is Concerning Salt. And it has these three points. Salt is good. Secondly, tasteless salt is worthless. And third... To ask the question, how did it become tasteless? That's, this, this is about concerning salt. These are very basic things. I understand that. I, I must admit that I had to wrestle much with coming to grips with the very basic things, even of the, the illustration itself. And I'll probably spend more time than I usually do on explaining these basic elements because it's making all one very, very basic and crucial point that I think that we need to hear. Well, first of all, let's consider that salt is good. Verse 34, three little words, salt is good. And you could read the Greek all day long and you would not learn anything new from what you've already heard in the English from those. The question is, what's so good about it? What is good about salt? We who are so rich, we who have so many things in this time, in this place, we tend to think very little of salt. But let's think a little bit more about it. What's good about it? Well, it cleanses or sterilizes. It's a rudimentary but very effective antiseptic. We didn't always have the very wonderful and amazing and highly developed things that we have now. But once this was about the only effective antiseptic that was, uh, that was around. And so if people were wounded in some way or another, this is something that they used to put on their cuts and, and wounds to keep them from becoming septic and dying from an infection. And likewise, even when this was a matter of, of intentional discipline, when a soldier or a sailor uh, did wrongly and was disciplined by whipping, of course it broke the skin, and, and they were liable to infection. Well, they may have disciplined them, but they didn't want them to die, and so they, they used salt. And that's the idea, then, of pouring salt into the wound. Of someone who's already been been whipped, um, then there's salt into the wound. It's very painful is actually done for a very useful purpose because, more than likely, again in the days before our more artificial antiseptics, they might have well have died from infection. So, this salt was a good thing. And besides this sterilization or cleansing idea, and I think this is probably our understanding, at least in terms of the not the supernatural part, but the natural idea of how that salt would ever be useful with regard to waters. Of course, if if we're infected with something, um, obviously the Lord worked a miracle through Elisha. Uh, I don't mean to say that that wasn't the case, but that's the that's the picture that's being seen in it. And B, it also preserves, and for the same basic reason, salt has long been used to preserve food, particularly meat. We do we do so today. We cure ham, and we have uh, other things that are that have salt added to them, uh, salted. Um, uh, fish in particular and the basic action by the way is so simple, so amazing it draws away the water right? that's the basic idea of what salt does and in the case of you, if you're a bacterium that's a problem because if you put salt on this bacterium it's going to suck all the, the water away and it's going to kill the cell it's going to lyse the cell that's the end of the bacterium salt is absolutely deadly to bacteria And so when you put enough salt, you do it in a proper way, a thorough way on meat, it's just not going to rot. It's going to be preserved because the bacteria can't, well, can't live when it's in contact with this salt. It'll be preserved for a long time. So it it sterilizes, it preserves, and see, it is a necessary part of life. It's not just to, to kill bad things. It is there for the, for the, the uh, sustenance of, of life. This antiseptic, this preservative, and I don't, I don't recommend this for the kind of antiseptics you have. You would not go to your counter and get some jar of antiseptic and, and, and drink that. That wouldn't be good for you. And nor would you want to take some preservative. Most of the artificial preservatives actually are, are not very good for you. But this antiseptic, this preservative in, in ordinary doses is not poisonous to people, but it is a necessary part of our diet because our body needs electrolytes. And and salt is the main electrolyte. Without salt, there is, human life is not not sustained. It's not just a, a desirable thing. It's not something, you know, it's a nice seasoning. It's necessary for life. Okay, so we're beginning to see why salt is good. It's, it sterilizes, it preserves, it's a, this necessary electrolyte. And D, yes, it also flavors. It even makes food to taste better. A little salt makes something that is otherwise unpalatable to be tasty. That's found in Scripture itself. Job says in Job 6.6, 6, Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are as loathsome food to me. Amazing. An interesting providence of God that, that salt, that, that food that is utterly without this substance is insipid to us. It's not something that we would desire to, to taste. Now, okay, so we spend a long time now to explain what's good about salt, these A, B, C and D, of what's good about salt. But what's the spiritual significance in all this? How does that relate spiritually? Well, let me just read the parallel passage in Matthew, which does provide some useful context for this. In Matthew 5:11, it's actually part of the, the Beatitudes, part of the Sermon on the Mount. "'Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you "'and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake.' Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who went before you. And you, and this is it, plural, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Okay? So the context is once again the inevitability of persecution from the world, but of the necessity of the church, of of God's people, to remain as they are. It is a good thing. And the illustration, of course, is, is pointing out that you are like salt. You are the salt of the earth. And and so actually all those things that could be said about salt are in various ways true about us. Remember, we we believe that natural types are no accident. When Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, that's a pretty strong thing. It's saying these things that can be said of salt can also be said about you. Christians do keep infection at bay, absolutely. Somebody who is infected by false things comes and receives the truth of the word of god by god applied by god's people and and made effic- efficacious through our prayers he will survive that wound will not kill him we in fact are we're what preserve the whole world assaulting of believers all around the world if there are no believers at all i'm sure this world would be destroyed by judgment we're the ones who continually pray for god's mercy those around us. We're the ones who who are continually being salt and light to the world and speaking the truth around us. And this word of God then is is having a preserving influence of of everyone that comes in contact. It's absolutely a necessary part of life, eternal life. Because outside of the church, outside of Christian truth, outside of the gospel, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation that's why it's the mission of the church to do that to preach the gospel to bring life and yes of course it even flavors because the world and the thinking of the world is uniform thinking of the world it is insipid and it's the presence of christian truth based on the word of god that makes things interesting makes things worthwhile makes them beautiful now, of course, all those things are only possible when the church, as composed of believing Christians, is doing what they should be doing. And in all those things, and being, utter, and being distinct, and therefore being used to the world, well, salt is very good. Absolutely necessary and beneficial. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Well, that's what's good about salt. But let's say, secondly, that tasteless salt is worthless. Salt is good, but secondly, tasteless salt is worthless. Verse 34, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I said salt is useful for these things. But when... Salt is no, does not fulfill its purpose. When it's not salty, when it doesn't have that basic action, and as I say, it has this basic action, doesn't it, as, as salt. Its relationship to water is an important and unique one, and that's the basis upon which it does everything else. But now, when that no longer has its efficacy, when it's no longer salty, when it doesn't have this basic property... It has no other function. Now, look, even food, even food that when it goes bad, when it goes off, you can still use it, for instance, for fertilizer, either directly or you put it in the compost heap, and it becomes fertilizer as it, as it sits there and rots, but not salt. When it loses its purpose of as salt, the thing its primary purpose, it has no other use at all. And, and Jesus explains how that is. Salt is not fit for the land. It's not fit to be used directly in the soil. It contains no nutritional value. It's not going to help plants to grow. And more than likely, it's as a, as a contaminated uh, thing, and uh, it's, it's going to be harmful. And salt is not even fit for the dunghill. And it means, by the way, again, the compost heap. There is no residual nutritional value to be recovered in this useless salt. It has no... The one thing that it had any use for whatsoever is gone. And there is no use for it. It is absolutely worthless. What then? It must be thrown out. It has no other use. It must be just thrown out. Matthew 5.13 It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And that is exactly what happened to it, by the way. When their salt became uh, uh, not unsalty, when they lost its saltiness, it was just thrown out on it. You weren't going to put it on your shields. So it was just thrown in the path and trampled underfoot. Now here's the really interesting question. How can salt lose its saltiness? We, we see very clearly that it's worthless. The question is how did, would it ever become tasteless? Because salt is actually, this is one of the things I I found out in my research on this, is that salt is one of the most stable molecules that we we have. And all you have to do, I'm sure if you saw the periodic table, you'd be reminded of why that is. Because sodium is all the way on the left, right? And chlorine is almost all the way on the right. Just one off from the the noble gases that are absolutely perfectly stable and, and it's the ones that are sort of on either side of things that are so unstable. And those two groups are the most reactive groups that they are because they either are missing one electron or they have one extro- electron again and they want to get together. And once they are together, they want to stay together. And there isn't much that's going to pull them apart. Right? They're, st- they're stable. And in the most obvious example, being dissolved in water, if I put salt into this water, you'd say, well, see, that that certainly got rid of the salt. No, it didn't. It's just the salt has remained salt in the water. It remains perfectly the same. And if you evaporated the water, what would you have? The salt would be there because it's never left. It doesn't cease to be salt. It, it remains it. But now what, the water, though, the water now becomes salt water because of the presence of the intact salt in it it, the salt actually changes the water, not the water, the salt. It can be tasted, it can be smelt, it makes a difference in the water. So, real salt actually doesn't lose its saltiness. There isn't much, naturally speaking, that's going to happen to salt that will cause it to become anything else. But that's the key, because we're speaking of real salt. And when Jesus is speaking about salt, the kind of salt that that we ordinarily encounter in in nature is not the purified salt in the laboratory. It's salt as we encounter it in in nature, salt, say, from around the Dead Sea, salt that we might mine, anything that's naturally occurring, it has lots of impurities in it. A block of rock salt, a block of mar salt, whatever, it has impurities And that kind, if that kind of salt is exposed to the elements just left outside on the ground, that salt, the actual real salt, will be leached away gradually in in contact with the water around it. And eventually what is left is this insipid stuff that isn't salt at all. That's what Jesus is saying. This salt has lost its saltiness. Well, what's the spiritual significance of that? losing its saltiness. Because this is like the church. Believers can't become unbelievers. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, praise God, you are saved. You have eternal life. There's nothing that can happen to you. You're not going to lose that. Nothing can snatch us away from his almighty hand. You remember that in wonderful passage of the Good Shepherd in the Gospel of John. That he, he's got you and he's my, my, no one can snatch you out of my father's hand. He is almighty. But as we encounter the church in this world, there are certainly impurities in it. The parable of the wheat and tares remind us there is no way that you'll ever encounter a church in this world that doesn't also have many who are not. That's the situation. There are, there are actual believers and there are others among them, and then there are churches, by the way. Here's the possibility then of how the salt can lose its saltiness. Well, because maybe then there are churches where the believers have been leached away, leaving behind something that is worse than useless, something that used to be distinct but now isn't. Something due to, to constant con- and indiscriminate contact with the world, intentional or rather just utterly uh, unthinking and uncritical contact, and the world acting upon, leeching away all that is distinct in that church. All the life giving properties go away with it, all the preserving properties, all the tasty properties are gone. And that church has no use at all. It's only a name to be something that it isn't. And so when somebody goes to such a place to have it, their wounds treated, if they're not, they're not actually anything good is going to happen, they're still going to die of their infection. When those who are, are famished and in need of life-giving electrolytes go there for that life, they will receive nothing but lies. They will think maybe they've received the real thing. But there are no life-giving qualities left, and they will die. Salt has lost its saltiness. Well, if that's the case, then thirdly, there's a question, how can it be made salty again? I'll read the section again. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Now, when it says, how shall it be seasoned, it's not saying that we're seasoning the residual material with something. It means that once this has happened to this rock salt, this Mars salt, how can it possibly be returned to its original state? And the simple answer is it can't. The answer is no, it can't be. The salt is gone. There's no way to recover. It's, it's done. And the implication of that is that the, this outcome must be avoided because once it happens, it cannot be put right. How was it that this salt ever became unsalty? They weren't careful with it, right? Instead of keeping it in a nice uh, container of some kind, away from the elements, they were just indiscriminate with it, left it out on the ground and the elements, and and, and now it's all gone. Well, that's the outcome to be avoided at all costs because once it happens... It cannot be put right. Don't let it happen. That's the idea. And so, spiritually speaking, we we must make sure that this salt, this thing that is so useful, is such a good thing that our good God has provided this world, not just naturally, but mainly spiritually, that God has put salt in this world for all these good purposes a church, a people that is distinct. He says, I'm going to call for myself a holy nation, a nation of kings and priests, and I'm going to call them out of the world, and I'm going to make them to be my representatives on this world. And I'm going to give myself unto them. I'm going to give my word, my, my image, my holy and supernatural image upon them, and they'll have the Holy Spirit, and they'll come with the, the means of grace by which the world may be healed by which the world is preserved, and all these other good things, the only way that that can happen is that the church remain the church. That something so good as as salt should not be squandered by indiscriminate contact with, constant contact and close identity with the elements around. Something so good and so useful should not be just squandered that way. The quickest way to do it again is simply to walk out and just throw it on the ground and leave it that way. It would immediately lose its saltiness. No, it's got to be kept separate. And here's the the paradox, you see. This is why we need help to understand these things. Here's the paradox. It's only by being kept distinct from the world that we can do the world any good. Right? You see? It's only... In, in that the this, this salt is kept preserved in all of its distinct properties from the world around it. That it can, in, in more specific and much more powerful ways, be made useful. See? That's the amazing thing. If it, the, 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 the salt is kept in indiscriminate and permanent uh, contact with the world around it, it does it no good, by the way. There's no benefit that the world receives from salt used in that kind of way. Nothing. It's worse than useless. But on the other hand, that salt is kept perfectly distinct. It has life-giving properties. Those who would otherwise die of their wounds, these these wounds are healed. This meat that would otherwise spoil is, 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 is preserved People that have been on a... Let's say soldiers that have been on a long march and have lost all their electrolytes and they might actually die. And this does happen. If there's not water with salt. They they live just because this salt is efficacious and powerful. Now, now, it's pungent, by the way. That's the thing. You know, if somebody comes who is has a wound and and... Uh, let 's say their family' is concerned let 's say a child has has uh, has fallen and scraped itself and it's it 's beginning to be infected, and they bring it to a place where there's salt and they now is it the child going to enjoy contact with the salt? Not at all. In fact, that child might prefer that they would put insipid, tasteless salt that had lost all that efficacy because it doesn 't feel bad at all. it feels like nothing right. But no, this salt is pungent, it's distinct, it has all that power, and it, it stings. And we might, now if somebody was, was looking at that situation right there and saw it, and they said, well, you know, this is, this is bad, this salt is not good for kids. It's not good for anyone. We should, we should be using insipid and in tasteless salt, because that way it won't sting. Well, that would be kind of short-sighted, wouldn't it? And be kind of short-sighted, because you would send somebody away, having been treated with this insipid salt, and they would still die. Now, moving to application. Do I need to say what I'm going to say? I have one application. It is very simple. Be salt. Be salt. Because it would be all too tempting for people who are used to encountering those who go like this. Because the world is, a, is an open sore. And everyone that we encounter are there with their open sores. They're, they're bleeding. They have these wounds. And we come as salt. and We touch them. And it stings them. And we are tempted... We want to lose our saltiness. And the church has learned by experience that if, if it just kind of throws itself in, in constant and permanent contact with all the world around it eventually all the saltiness is drained away and then that effect is gone. We, we, the church encounters people because it has just become so completely worldly that the, the people that come to the church don't see anything different. And they're perfectly comfortable, they're perfectly at home. And we say, good, that's the way it ought to be. And they go home to die. Is this what we want for the world? Is that the way that God so loved the world? Is that would we appreciate a physician or nurse? We have several healthcare professionals among us. Would you really, really want your child to be treated by someone who's so soft-hearted, as to say, well, I know that the real thing is going to sting, so I'm not going to give this child the real thing. I'm going to give it something fake that's not going to hurt at all, not going to sting, and they'll love me for it. You know, that's true. Great illustration. There's one of our little children used to be afraid of one of her own members who's a nurse because she administered vaccinations. And what used to sort of hide when, 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 he, when uh, she saw her. I mean, that's a sad thing. What requires, what is requisite in such a thing is actual true love, sacrificial love. That is willing to have that kind of reception for the long-term benefit of the one that you're trying to treat. The church and individual Christians are continually under the pressure and under the temptation to become insipid, to become worldly. In fact, I would say it's more than just a a temptation. Sometimes there are well-meaning people, there are are famous writers and ministers who, who speak as if this is the great mandate of the church, because they have, they've experienced this. They've seen, oh, well, the people are not reacting well to that. And I, they try something. They, they try some new doctrine. They try some new gospel. And they say, wow, my doctrine of hell doesn't, doesn't even offend people. Let's use that one. And they say, actually, this is the thing. If you really care about people, you will change your message. You will change the things that you say. In order that people will be comfortable, that you'll be contextual, that you'll be relevant. Well, Jesus is saying absolutely the opposite when he's speaking to us here and when he's speaking in Matthew 5. It's the absolute Opposite. I'll read it again. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It isn't good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. See, absolute opposite. You're blessed when you're reviled by the world. But if, on the other hand, you ever stop being distinct, you would, by very definition, become utterly worthless. Look, we can do, the church, God's people can do one thing for this world, okay? It's to be who we are. It is to to have a, bear consistent testimony to God's truth. That is the one thing that we can do and be of help. And it is a necessary thing. You know, the world is not absolutely one big salt crystal, but salt and salt is humble. People don't go. You know, it's not like there are salt mines, but it's not like a gold mine. It's not like a diamond mine. Salt isn't that valuable. It definitely looks humble. And so the world encounters us that way, but it needs us. It desperately needs us. It's a life-giving, life-preserving substance. And if we love people and if we're obedient to God's word, we will not seek to be like the world, but we're willing to be distinct in order that we might do the world some good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the purity and clarity of your word. Lord, though there are many things in it that can be misunderstood, and Lord, we recognize that every time that Jesus speaks in parabolic illustrations and parables, Lord, we know that there is much possibility that we would get the wrong idea. Lord, we're thankful that your word interprets itself. We're thankful that you truly give us insight into these things. And Lord, we think we understand what it is that you're speaking to us. And speaking to a people who would be tempted, indeed, to become just like the world around it, in order that it might avoid giving offense. Well, Heavenly Father, help us to have the good sense and the compassion, and the love, and the faithfulness to be who we are, to be willing to be kept distinct in order that we might truly do the world good. We pray that we might. We pray, Lord, indeed, that we might do much good in this place and that you would be glorified in it. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.